Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hi, Rungsima. How are you? Hi, how are you? We are good. So we're talking microtoxins today. Yeah, microtoxin. This is chapter four of our The Tox yes. Talks. And uh, this is one that I've been kind of interested to explore and I didn't know who to ask. Yes. And then at A22, the conference just about a month ago, I, I heard Rungsima talk and I thought, okay, let's do I it. I know who I'm getting on now. <laughs> so we found an expert, but sadly I didn't get to speak to you in person, Rungsima. So do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us about your practice and um, then we're going to ask you some questions yes, about we'll get um, into it. injectables in Thailand because you're our first Thai guest. It's quite exciting. Yeah, my name is Rungsima. I'm actually the professor in dermatology um based in Bangkok, Thailand. Wow. And how do you say your surname? <laughs> Forget about it. You okay. Know, <laughs> I, I, you, you can blame it on my husband. You know, my last name was shorter. Oh, right. right. Okay. But after I get married, you know, he add a lot of syllable into my last name. So that was, uh, but to be exact, it said, Wanipakdidecha. Wow, pretty good. That's not that. like, He's been practicing have, here for the last go. 15 Ooh. minutes. I was yeah. going to get David to do it and, and humiliate him, <laughs> yes. but we won't do that. I can, I can humiliate myself. <laughs> I need your help. So how long have you been a dermatologist and, and what do you specialize in particularly? Um, wow, that's long. <laughs> I, stopped, I, I even stopped counting. So I graduated in 2003, yep. finished the residence. And then, yeah, so it's almost 20 years. Practicing right. Durham. Wow. Um, I did two fellowship training. The first one in Mo surgery. The second one is in um, cosmetic dermatology and lasers. Right. Actually, I had, again, fellowship and anti-aging, but it's irrelevant for what we are talking about today. Oh, well, we're interested in anti-aging, so perhaps that's a, a discussion we'll have you back on for at some stage in the future, because uh, I'm, I'm very, very interested to talk to you about that. Um so in terms of your practice, what type of treatments are you doing? What sort of patients are you seeing? Just give us an idea of sort of what a day-to-day, -day, um, you know, would look like for you routinely. Yeah. So I see, I think only like 10% of general derm now mm -hmm. and maybe 15 to 20% for surgery, like, yep. like most surgeries, skin cancer. Yep. The rest would be laser and cosmetics. Right. So mainly. Yeah. And how, how do injectables work in Thailand? So he, here in Australia, they're, they're very available. We have nurse injectors, doctor injectors, and dental injectors. So who, who's injecting in Thailand and how available is it? Yeah, so purely for doctor. Okay. And I think like dentists start getting injection, I think maybe only for like bruxism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or gummy smile might be, but, you know, mainly still be with doctor, like medical doctor. Yeah. And what 
type of treatments are people typically undergoing in the realm of cosmetic injectables? Because I know here in Australia and well, even different parts of Australia, you've got different trends, you know, the type of treatments that people are looking for. So what are people looking for in Thailand and, and in your practice in particular? Okay. In more mature generation, I think they want to look like less wrinkly. Yes. Uh, but for a younger generation, they want to do mainly on facial contouring and dermal lifting. Right. Or, 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 or we use intradermal for all off-label indication that we might be talking about today, like enlarged pores, um, um, decreased sebum production, and also for skin quality. Right. And do your patients ask that because they know you offer it or it's because it's a common thing that people worry about? Because I guess what I'm getting at is the microtoxin sort of topic. It's not a common thing here in Australia or, or some of the Western countries, but I know in Asia, it's very normal. All, all clinics do microtoxin. It, it's a yeah. specialty in itself. So have you seen that in your own practice, in your own experience? So to be honest, like, you know, microtoxins here is like, you know, people talking about that, like maybe patients learn about it and then they come and asking. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and there is a, I think there is a misbelief, what I might say. They thought that like using a microtoxin will make them look um, younger and mm-hmm. more natural. Yeah. More natural way to do. Yeah. I know that, um, looking at a sort of patients from the Asian part of the world, they're very focused on the quality of their skin, not so much, um, you know, big augmented lips and, um, you know, crazy cheeks. They want high quality um, skincare products. They're looking to um, increase, you know, reduce pore size. Just, I think, more focused on the actual skin quality and texture rather than augmentation, which I think we... I'm being general here. No, it's I true. Mean, you, uh, well, yeah. we look at your average Australian yeah. patient, they ignore their skin, yeah. but they want bolder features. features. Yeah, It's sort of almost the opposite, yeah. I guess. I mean, look at your skin, Roxima. It's flawless. Um, and, you know, our friend Dana Lim, her skin yes. is flawless yeah. and she's obsessed with it. Yeah. But your average Australian, they kind of, you know, they get sun damage. They don't wear, you know, the sunscreen. Yeah. And the damage is done and accumulated over, accumulated over the years. Whereas, you know, this isn't a stereotype. Many Asian people, that they, they don't like color. They, they don't want to be in the sun. It's different. It's, cult- it's a cultural preference, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, um, you prefer having like skin tan, right? Like darker skin tone. But for us, like everyone just want to look brighter and lighter. Yes. Yeah. So that crazy, uh, we always want what we can't have. Like, but, you know. <laughs> ooh, why, why is that culturally important? Where does that come from? And, and you know, even is that the same in Thailand as China or, or is it different? Because obviously the skin yeah, tone is I think different. It's everywhere. I think it's everywhere in Asia. That is why the whitening business is really, really big money in Asia. Um, we believe like, you know, people who is with lighter skin had, how we say, more of the wealth and health. Yeah, because they're yeah. not out in the fields working. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, uh, or like uh, being born in the rich family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. It's a sign of like having been in a very good and wealthy families. Yeah. But but like, you know, in, in, in Western way, though, they look at the skin that is too light in terms of weakness. Yeah. So I think it's pretty much in terms of the context. Mm. Okay. And which brands are available in Thailand? Is it the usual Allergan, Galderma, Tioxane, or do you have other ones that we may not have heard of? Yeah, I think we have um, Allergan for sure, Botox. Uh, we have um, Diceport, 
which is from Galderma, and we have uh, Xiaomin from MERS. Um, we also have uh, the one that had USFDA approved already, Nabota, mm-hmm. which is from Korean. And we had Hujel from the Hujel Farmer. Yeah. So we had a lot of brand uh, in Hujel though, like Botulax. And yes. I think you just recently had the new one, right? It's coming in. coming very soon. I don't believe it's launched, but it's imminent. And it will be called Letibo, but it's Botulax. Yeah, so Letibo, we have it for 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay, well, maybe we can talk at the yeah. end about your experience of that. That'd be interesting. Whenever I, th- hey, botch- I think of laxative when I think of botulinum, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's such a bad name. I'm glad they changed it to something less, slightly less bad. <laughs> I think it's, it's come from relax. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like bot- botulinum toxin for relax. They wanted an X in there, so it sounded like Botox, right. I think. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I'm just speculating. Um, oh, we, well, I was going to say, what, yeah. well, what's your preferred brand? And... and and is it the same for cosmetic as well as microtoxin, or does it differ? Yeah, surprised that you asked. Do you know um, if it's for intradermal? I would prefer. Can I say the brand? Yeah, right yeah, of here? course or, you can. Yeah, yeah, I would prefer Xiaomin from MERS. So that's for our the, intradermal microtoxin no, type. It, it's for uh, intramuscular. Our oh, intramuscular is Xiaomin. Right. Yeah, Xiaomin, um, because of the. Like you know the the, the purity of it, mm-hmm. no complexing protein. So I believe in the um, botulinum toxin antibody thing for resistance. Yes. So that is why, yeah. So when so you say I'll, you believe in it, I mean the evidence is. I'm not going to say the word slim, but it's very rare that we have these problems. And we we've done a whole episode discussing you know um, you know antibodies and resistance etc. And our two key opinion leaders from both, you know, the, the Xiaomi side and the Botox side, I think we ended up calling it a draw. It was, yeah. a, it was sort of a debate, really. Mm. And, you know... I, I listened to that podcast. Oh, you I did? It, okay. it was the first one that I... Ah, like, there you go. <laughs> she, yeah, was, she was doing um, her homework on a stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you look, look, because I did plenty of studies on, on that, okay. on that complexing protein. So what did you find? Tell us. I think the complexing protein might have more roles contributed to the clinical resistance uh, to botulinum toxin in patients more than what we expect. So, you know, the thing is, 10 years ago, when we only have Botox, so I'm, I'm not talking that like, you know, Xiaomin is the best one, mm-hmm. but I think there is some brand that can um, stimulate more antibody production than others. Yes. And, and, you know, we had Botox for like, what, 20 years? 20-something years, and the incident of um, antibody production or clinical resistance, secondary um, resistance, is super low. Yes. But you know, right now in Asia, like in Thailand, you ask all the doctors, at least, like, they w- will say at least one or two patients in their practice had this problem of uh, clinical non-response. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the reason why you didn't really see it that much because you don't have variety of the brand like us. Yeah, but then you would assume that with a limited choice, we would see more resistance if there was only one or two products creating it. I might say, you know, among all from brand to brand, the complexing protein between them is different. And I think like, you know, when you... Uh, inject may, maybe some brand or another that can stimulate like um, your immune response already. And now like, you know, the analogy of having um, the police come and calling uh, and check 
like immigration, I think that was that was the very good analogy, and it's the same thing. Yeah. So, so in in one of my publication, what I found is, um, it's there is some people who did not respond from the brand with complexing protein still respond mm-hmm. with c o m i n So, which means there might be antibody, and 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 we measure the antibody level against. The PO toxin and against each individual complexing protein, we even had like you know invented the lab to diagnose that. Yeah, and what we found is the complexing protein antibody might have something to do more than what we know in the past. Interesting. That's well, fascinating. We'll have to get you back on maybe in a year's time, and we'll discuss that topic yeah. again. Tox Wars Part Two. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so what? So you told us what your favorite one is to use. So you said you like to use z e m i n when you're doing intramuscular. So what are you using for your sort of intradermal um, uh, treatments? More like disport. Yeah. Okay. Or what you call disport, whatever. Yeah. And and know. why why the difference? Why why that brand? <clears throat> Because that has complexing proteins as well. Yeah. Um, There is one or two things. Since um, you know, with Dysport, there is the more clinical data backup, and I published one of the studies to demonstrate the split face comparison studies on the facial lifting, like comparing one able botulinum toxin or Dysport with the other uh, with normal saline, and we found that it lasts long. Yeah, and using say z e o m i n you didn't get the same results. I might not say that because I don't have the clinical studies to validate it. Okay, fair enough. Well, we'll come on to, I guess, the topic, but maybe we should just define the term. What do we mean by microtoxin? And I believe it came from Waffles Woo, but you know, you're the expert, so tell us what it means and where it came from. Actually, I love waffle, but I might say the first one. Who talk about this technique is not waffle. It's um, the doctor, Doctor Lee Yong Sip Lee from Korea. Okay, and so when when was this developed, and and when did you hear about it, and what were they doing with it? I think it's pretty much around 2005 mm-hmm. or even before. So you know, at that time, um, so Dysport just. Get into Thailand around that time. Yeah. So before so we had only Allegan, right? But Dysport just come in, and then I think penetration wise to the market, they're trying to find their strength. Mm-hmm. So in Korea, by Dr. Yong Sip Lee, so he is the one who um, trying to promote the intradermal injection technique with hyperdiluted Dysport. Right. And he claimed at that time, I'll say he claimed. That it can cause fibroblast contraction, thereby lifting of the face. Which uh, I believe you've done some studies on now to effectively yes, prove but that. At, but at that time, I'm really skeptical. So you know, I'm 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 I'm, I'm I, I might say I'm the one who is difficult to convince. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you should be with these techniques. You can't just say something. You need yeah. to and show I evidence. Yeah, and just like you know, I asked him in person. So he traveled to Thailand. Training all the KOL in Bangkok at that time uh, about his technique, like you know, injecting like hyper diluted. So they, he diluted Dysport 500 unit vial with 7 cc of saline, mm-hmm. and then he used instead of injecting like deep intramuscular, injecting like you know super small 
on the area that like you know there there we believe that there is no muscle or wrinkle there yeah so like forehead like you know or the hairlines here um and maybe like you know behind the ears yeah uh, around the jawline Ex- yeah expecting for lifting yeah and you know when when i when i first heard that technique so you know i trained with him but i really asked him like hey dr lee um if you think that how how can you prove with the fibroblast contraction that you mentioned did you publish in any of the journals so i can just read about it so he said he he did not publish in any way so for me you know i graduated from united states so i said look whatever did not publish did not really happens in the world yeah yeah so i cannot cite it i can't have it as reference so i said okay fine you can say whatever i really don't believe what he said to be honest i'm so sorry dr lee if you listen <laughs> Um, but, and, you know, there is two studies, one from United, one from USA, Dr. Kapoor. So he did like split phase studies with Botox or now botulinum toxin and saline. And there is no significant difference in facial lifting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, yeah, that's why. Hmm. But, you know, after the, these techniques hit, Thailand, right? There's some of the doctor and one, the other one is the very famous and I really believe like she published a very good journal, a good clinical studies. So she did retrospective studies on the disport and find that there is significant face lifting. But what she mentioned is like, there is no control trial, right? It's not split face. So she's just like retrospective. Mm-hmm. So what I'm thinking is like, you know, sometime when you inject around like or below the neck here, you actually weak platysma. Yes. So which means it caused lower face lifting a bit. Yeah. But since she mentioned it, so I'm trying to look into it. And, you know, more and more, there has a publication on the effect of uh, fibro, uh, of the toxin on the fibroblast and also all other cytokines. Right. Wow. So, I, so I, so at that time, I'm thinking like, yeah, why not? We trying to prove it. If Doctor Lee says like, you know, he really see it. But one question is like, I don't really know what is the dilution. Mm. Like you know, the usually when we dilute Botox for intramuscular, you dilute it 100 unit vial with 2.5 cc, right? Correct. Yeah. But it seems like the dilution is supposed to be very, very hyperdiluted. You need to dilute it further. Yeah. So I asked um, Dr. Lee, like, why do you dilute 500 unit vial of this port with 7cc? So he said he tried every dilution and he find that this is the best one. The That's work. Okay. Interesting. Right. So what I'm trying to do is, so I take the biopsy from the skin of volunteer, take and culture the fibroblast and put it in the chamber and I drop the solution of at that time we only have Botox and Dysport in multiple solution yeah. and measure, capture, looking at it and see how the fibroblasts get contract. Wow. And do you know what's causing this to actually happen? Like what is it in the toxin which is in muscles causes things to relax or blocks the signal? So how what's it actually doing to actually cause this fibroblast contraction that I'm assuming then translates into lifting, tightening of the skin because of collagen production and so on? But what's actually causing it? How's this happening? At that time, we didn't really know. So, you know, it's at all, we all speculation. Mm. Like it could be 
um, related to met, uh, the enzyme called MMP mm-hmm. that really affect the fibroblast and the collagen type one. But but at that time we don't know. You know, sometimes you just want to prove yeah. if it's this first before like digging, right? Digging it down. And surprisingly, to be honest, I did it repeat the result like two times. Right. But what I can see is only this port at one hundred uh, five hundred unit while diluted with seven cc that caused the maximum contraction, as Doctor Lee said. Right. And so. How long does it take for this result to come into effect? Collagen takes 90 days to remodel. Are you waiting for collagen production and elastin and and so on? Or is this just the fibroblast itself? And then how long do the results last? And how often are people needing to have these treatments? I mean, because I'm assuming this is a, it would be almost a permanent result, I would assume, until the face continues to age. It's not acting in the normal way that toxin does where the effects wear off. This is, so can you just explain that a little bit? Yeah. So when we first found that like this part at 7cc dilution in 500 unit vial really worked the best. What I'm doing next step is I'm doing these quick phase clinical studies just to prove that it's better than saline. You know, sometimes when you're injecting a lot of um, a lot of solution intradermally, you can cause some swell and it's really called volume lifting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in the clinical studies, the first one, we follow up the patient only for two weeks because it's a split phase, right? It could create facial asymmetry and mm. I, I can't really let the patient live longer than two weeks. <laughs> so what we find is like we ask the doctor to evaluate and even the patient to evaluate it at two weeks. There is statistically significant difference on the side that was injecting with di- hyperdiluted toxin. Am I right in saying, I think I read your paper earlier today, um, that the patients were actually rating it better than the doctors? Is that correct? Yeah, because they got free treatment. So right. this is like, oh, <laughs> okay. So they said, wow, Dr. Rusima, you're amazing. But I guess I, I wonder if, and, and we sort of had this discussion before about even, you know, treatments that are more focused on the on the sort of uh, more superficial layers of the skin, like your skin boosters and so on, is that from a photograph, you don't see it as much or when someone looking at you, but the way your skin feels like just the, for the person that's actually wearing that skin, you actually notice it more than what could be translated visually in a photo or yeah. potentially even in person. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. that's true. That is why for the later studies that we publish, we use something else. We mm. use the, um, the camera, the three dimension camera to capture the volume changing. And mm. uh, we also using the, in the, in the, Following studies on enlarged pores, we even had all the biophysical property measurement technique and and all the tools to quantify it. Right. So, because we had Sebastian Cotafana on a few episodes ago, and we discussed the modified Nefertiti lift, where essentially he's doing three or four injections above the jawline, just affecting platysma, and you can actually get you know similar um result and he was talking about a half a, a half a cc improvement in the mid cheek volume mm. from doing just that so what are you noticing when you're doing the whole face with this type of technique yeah i i, I really look you know i think the facial lifting can be combination and and as i mentioned earlier like i know that like injecting around here is actually you you affect platysma yeah right so Platysma weakening can be part of the facial lifting from from toxin injection. 
Yes. But, but like, you know, but we can't really deny that we really see fibroblast contraction in different dilutions. So, you know, Botox in any type of dilution or, or in any dilution that I test up until 10 cc, there is no significant contraction at all. So no wonder why, like, you know, what the very first study by Dr. Kapoor, he didn't really get the significant difference. That is why from that studies, what bring it to me is the toxin is actually not really the same. You can't really treat every toxin the same. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we talk about them being similar but different you know of course they are different they're manufactured different different um molecular weights but they have the same core neurotoxin which is so, ultimately what's doing the job so what 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 do you speculate being the difference i have no idea to be honest okay. next year i might know okay and how long do these results last how often are patients okay. getting treatment and how many units and yeah actually can i ask a question um, first actually so so when a patient comes in and and maybe they ask for your you know your facelifting technique because they know it. H how are you assessing them to see if they're appropriate before you All proceed right. to do it? Thank you, you asked. So from the clinical studies, we subgroup analysis. So we find that the younger generation, like age less than 30, 35, it would be better if it's lower than 30, yeah. will get better results. So we thought that it might be because of the, you know, quality of the collagen itself. Yeah. That is, you know, better be stimulated. And 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 the patient who had um how we say not too chubby face mm -hmm. will get better result as well. I think because like, you know, if you have a heavy cheek, it will be very difficult for lifting. Yeah. It's not only with the toxin though, with any of the machine also. If you had like chubby cheek, you can't really get the lifting mm. that well. Mm. Mm. Sorry, no, sorry. Before I, I got hijacked <laughs> by, uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. So, how, yeah. So, what sort of uh, results in terms of uh, result last in terms of uh, how long? Sorry, I'll ask that question again. Yeah. How long are the results lasting, and how many units are you okay. uh, using, and how long until they actually see? You said two weeks, and then yeah, frequency of treatment. So, from studies in intradermal with different brand of toxins, so what I find is like you need to get high dose. So at least 75 or 80 per full face yep. to get the result, which is, I think, consider it's high, you know, considering it's intradermal. But if you keep that dose high, you will get the longer, longer lasting result, like more than three months. In some case, they report to have like improvement up until six months. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I ask, cause I'm just trying to work out the, sort of the ratio from disport to maybe Botox, even though you're saying Botox doesn't work mm -hmm. as well. Are you, do you base your disport um, Botox ratio of 2.5 disport to one Botox? Mm -hmm. So that's not, I wouldn't say that's high dose. It's 32 units of Botox for the whole face. It's not, not a lot. It's no, no, not, no. Um, I'm, I'm talking about the dose of the Botox, not the dose of the disport. Ah, okay. So 80 units of Botox. Oh, oh that's the equivalent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then, that is pretty high. Yeah, that's yeah. high. Okay, okay, fair. But again, you know, it's a whole face treatment, so yeah. understandable. And then w what's the actual technique? So you've made up your uh, microtoxin, but you're using Dysport because you say it works better. Then what needles are you using? Uh, what depth? How far apart are your injections yeah, and so on? I think I use like regular needles, like one cc syringe with um, 30 gauge 
needle. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that some doctor use like insulin siren, but yes. I think the needles get blunt easily. Yeah. So mm. I prefer having like the needles that can change like every a couples, maybe mm-hmm. after five shots, and then I'll change it. Yeah, might be better. And you make sure that you are inject intradermal. So which means you had to see the well or the, the blood. Yeah. Okay. And how long? How oh, you said the yeah, space between them? Yeah. How far apart them. are your injections? How many are you doing? Yeah. So like maybe one or two, one to one point five centimeters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Here. And no more than that. Are you doing sort of a circumference of the face or the whole face? Yeah, we 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 did the whole face. But but look, you know, when you really look at the way you inject forehead lines, to be honest, you are injecting intradermally because the muscle is so thin. Do, yeah, I agree. Uh, it depends how, how how heavy set they are. Yeah, yeah. Or when you inject it intramuscular, partially it's get into intradermal. Yeah. So it would be very difficult for the thinner muscles that you can differentiate, like layer between intramuscles and intradermal, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but we keep uh, with this technique, we keep injecting like very superficial. Mm-hmm. Okay. And would you do a regular sort of intramuscular injection in the same session, or would you split them up? So if someone's coming in for say forehead lines and whatever else, would you do them at the same time? Yeah, we, 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 we tended to do it at the same time. And and again, for these, we try to prevent the in antibody stimulation, yeah. right? If you were like break it apart, you you had to like ask them to come back like one time for ID, one time for IM. I think it's stimulation. So just keep it boom. Right. Yeah. And, and do you agree with, um, you know, again, going back to the resistance podcast that um, there, there should be a threshold of a certain amount of units per session and no more frequent than every three months. Yes. Uh, actually, again, I published one of the studies that we uh, test the antibody level among the three group of subjects. So the first one is the naive one. So the one who never had injecting toxin for cosmetic purpose in their life. Yeah. The second is the one that inject regularly and still respond. Right. And the last group is the group that had clinically unresponsive. And what we found, and then we calculate everything, we find that the injection more than 50 units per session is considering the risk. Right. So if you're doing the equivalent of 80 for the whole face yeah, microtoxin, that would be too high. plus upper face wrinkles, that's yeah. that's a high dose for you. Yeah. Yes. That, 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 that is why, you know, that is why it's come to my thought that maybe the reason why we've seen more of the antibody production and clinical unresponse is because we practice differently. Yes. Yeah. I believe what you think. Like you know, I, I I'm I'm totally sure that you never seen the clinical resistance in your career, or even less, like maybe one or two. Yeah, I've seen but here we one. Have, like, I think. Yeah. Plenty. Why? For me, I think because intradermal, in the dermis, there is a cell called antigen-presenting cell. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like macrophage and everything that catch the antigen. So, when you try to inject something intradermally, it stimulates more of your immune response. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, you feel like you're maybe stirring up the antibody, sorry, the immune system more with the microtoxin than intramuscular. Guilty as charged. Right. That's interesting. <laughs> but, you know, it makes sense. I mean, we're using a biological product. Yeah. So, makes sense. Yeah. Oh, okay. and, and, and actually, I, I'm now um, finished the studies comparison between the dosage of 
eye intradermal and intramuscular from different brands that we have in Thailand. Yeah. Uh, we found that some of the brands stimulate more immune response than the others. And, you know, in terms of the ID and IM, ID is actually slightly higher antibody production mm. than IM. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. Now, Should we, well, well, I was just going to yeah. say that there'll be listeners screaming, saying, well, hold on, what, what are we talking about by face lifting? What, what does that mean for you? Is it just a very subtle, you know, tightening, jowl slightly improved, or is it profound? Like, what, what does it look like? Yeah, I think like, you know, uh, to be honest, lifting, it will be over it. Okay. Uh, actually, you had like more like um, face contouring a bit. Mm-hmm. I think more like the Nefertiti lift. Okay. And um, and then you said in your studies with the 3D cameras, what what did they show? Where is the where is the volume improvement or the lift most okay. profound? So what we measure is the volume of nasolabial fold and volume of jawline. Yeah. So we measure the improvement of the uh, depth of the nasolabial fold because mm-hmm. if you are expect the mid face lifting, you need to measure the nasolabial fold. Yeah. And here and jawline around here. Mm-hmm. And, and to, I mean, can you give us any figures or, uh, you know, or, or is it just a standard deviation that was improved? I think it's the deviation that has been improved and it equal to the volume change pretty much around 1.5 to 2 cc. Oh, wow. And, and what are the patients reporting? I know you're, you know, Jake and you were just talking about your sort of clinical evidence, but what are the patients saying in terms of their non-medical brain and looking and feeling their face? What, what's, what's their feedback? People who participate in the study really like it, you know, but, but, but to be honest, like they get free treatment and, yes, and it happens like in every um, clinical studies, but in people in real life, uh, some of them really like it. Right. I mean, the only thing I can think of that was similar is presumably, you know, what the V2 gun is, um, Rongsima? Mm-hmm. The, have you heard of the V2 gun? It's from Korea. Basically, um, you can mount a skin booster filler in this thing ah, and you kind like of shoot it in. Yeah, like yeah. a gun. And it's got nine needles traditionally. And that was launched, what, four years yeah. ago in your clinic? Something yeah, like that? Something like that. It, and to be honest, I don't think it's been that popular, but for a while it was quite popular. And what was promoted as part of the treatment was to mix 40 units of Botox within one mil of filler, plus some people were also adding PRP. So they were making this random cocktail. Yeah. And they were, you know, they and they were doing intradermal, you know, shots of this stuff. And, you know, some people apparently had great results, some people didn't. So I, I guess that's the only thing similar that yeah. I've seen yeah. like this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, using toxin alone all over the face intradermal I, i've not seen anyone yeah. do that routinely anyway yeah have you no i haven't uh no i haven't no, no. but um yeah it, it just seems so, so so i think let's 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 wait till let Thibault coming in right why would that change it because it's one of the brand that really had a very good effects and i believe if you know to be honest if i'm their distributor i'm going to promote this Right. Ah, okay. So you think Latibo will be even more um, profound than Disport? From the clinical studies, uh, it needs lower dose. Right. Okay. So it's more cost effective. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll say for the distributor, they won't be able to do that because it's off label. But anecdotally, 
Well, um, it might be something to try. Maybe they'll get it approved under that indication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It's very, very hard to get these things through the FDA or the TGA, yeah, whoever. So maybe that's come back to hyperhidrosis because it feels like we should continue on with yeah. the other. Because I'm assuming that, you know, um, we want to talk about rosacea and acne and things like that. And I'm assuming the application is fairly similar, or if not exactly the same as what you're doing for the lifting. Is that yeah. right? And yeah. So I think it's, um, there is some, how we say, com common, like, um, how we say, common mechanism of action yeah. Yeah. between inhibit the acetylcholinesterase, you know? Yeah. So what we know is like Botox um, inhibit muscles by inhibit the um, ACH and the receptor. Yeah. yeah. So that is why the communication between nerve and muscles is disconnected. So at first, we thought that it affects only on the muscles, yeah, on voluntary muscles. But actually, recently, we found both in vitro and in vivo that um, it can also affect on the sympathetic nerve function as well. Yeah. So the function of, of the muscles that we can't control, so, you know, involuntary muscles. Yeah. And all the glands in the skin, partially there is a muscle controlling of the releasing of the substance. So sweat gland is one. Yeah, I mean, gland is one. I think every injector, even your sort of junior injectors have heard that you can use Botox for sweating or toxins for sweating. And like you said, it's working on a completely different target. It's the, um, well, I believe it's the ACH, but on the smooth muscle cells, not um, yeah. striated muscle. And so it's just stopping the gland producing sweat. So I guess when we're looking at all these indications, whether it's rosacea, acne, facial lifting, there's different targets and potentially different um, signal pathways that are being affected. But I don't think we really know, to be honest. Yeah, but but that is the postulation. Uh, and what we, what we, but surprisingly, um, it's not, un, it's unlike um, Botox for wrinkle reduction or 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 even facial lifting with hyperhidrosis is the brand and also the dosage is actually still vary. Mm. You know, in some of the patient, you need to test the dose first just to make sure. I had one of the patient who came for axillary hyperhidrosis, mm -hmm. and they need double on one side. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. would you agree that that's the most common use of microtoxin in adverted commas around the world for hyperhidrosis? Yeah. Yeah, I think axillary is the one that is really annoying. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we put this out to our listeners to ask what dose do they use in their clinic? And I use five mils for 100 units, so it's it's a true microtoxin, whereas uh -huh. other injectors are doing standard dilution of 2.5. So, but how many units in total? Uh, so 100, sorry, 50 per armpit. Oh, okay. Of Botox. So for, yeah, for me, I'll start at 30 per armpit. And go from there. Okay, interesting. So, and what dilution do you use for your toxin? 2.5 to 4. Yeah. And the same for men and women? Or would you higher dose yeah, for same, men? same, same, okay. same. Well, I guess my question is, why do you have a varied one? What does it depend on? I think the dilution-wise, it's not really had nothing to do with the diffusion or the, the effects of hyperhidrosis improvement, but it's actually the total dose that matter. Uh -huh. The reason why you dilute it 
is because you don't want to just like pinprick doing every single like five mil. Yeah. You 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 hyper dilute it because you want a diffusion, so you don't need to prick it like every one mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. I mean, relating it back to I guess disport and Botox, because it's often said that disport spreads more. I've often wondered, well, is can that be used advantageously for hyperhidrosis because it spreads better? It's it just captures a bigger surface area. Yes, and and that was the thing that I used for the at the very early adoption when when this part just coming into Thailand. You know, since the diffusion profile is is more, hmm. so I used that in uh, masseter and also in calf mm-hmm. reduction right. because of the diffusion, and hmm. also for hyperhidrosis as well. So for bigger areas, you're choosing Disport because it spreads more, in your opinion. Right. Yeah, interesting. Gosh. Um, okay, and why do you use 30 per armpit? And the reason I ask is because, at least here in Australia, it's a non-label indication. Um, it, it's it's licensed for that, and dermatologists treat people um, with government help, you know, for the price of it. And and oh. the root, yeah, and yeah. the routine protocol is 50 yeah. per armpit. <laughs> So I'm just wondering why. That is you... why every Austra- all Australian had a very good smell. <laughs> <laughs> you've been in the. I don't think you've been everywhere. If you say that, <laughs> yeah, you've def- you definitely haven't done enough exploring yet. I don't think <laughs> you haven't. You haven't been in a taxi in Australia. Yeah, it's, um... a, it's actually a good point, and 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 this is for Australian uh, injectors. I, I don't think that's a commonly known thing that they can actually refer their patient to their GP, who can then refer to a dermatologist and save their patient a lot of money. Yeah. Um, of course, that's not good for injectors, but it's good for the patient. So I think we should always offer our patients that first. And if for whatever reason they can't access it or they want it on the day, yeah. then sure, you can treat them. But yeah. um, We have the same thing for migraines as well. Yeah, for People migraines. want to prescribe to neurologists. Okay, so how is it actually working with acne and so i'm assuming it's the same technique yes um so maybe you're getting a two for one if you're treating some of a facial lifting or or uh acne you probably they get the results of both with the treatment would that be correct actually the very first observation in patient is actually from the people who get microtoxin right, right. so they reported to have like drier uh skin like you know less oily mm-hmm and they love it because like, you know, in younger generation, when they came, like, I, as I mentioned, like the younger people love more of the ID microtoxin. Mm-hmm. And then they report like, wow, my face looks less oily. Mm. So that is what what's when like we look into it. And, and again, with the same thing, like, you know, the glandular things that had also the muscles and also the nerve um, involuntary things. So when Botox inhibit all that, it less produce of yep. the content. So same with sweat. And again, with the with the sebum production from the sebaceous gland. So when the patient has less oily skin, you know, uh, the sebum production is less, the pore is also trinkage. So same thing, less production, like disuse atrophy. Yeah. And, and then there is more of the concept that thinking why they can also improve their pores because of the fibroblast stimulation as well that we already talking about. So that might be two in one effects for the, uh, for the enlarged pores, but the effect will happen in different point of time. So, you know, after you start injecting, the sebum production will be like, start to uh, get diminishing at two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, depending on clinical study and dose. But in large pores, you have to wait at least six weeks up. 
Right. right. So, I mean, if you are using this for the treatment, you have to really tell the patient what, when to look for it. Mm. So, yeah, it's a long tail effect. Yeah. I'll tell you what I was reading. It's um, alongside, you know, just the sebum production lowering. The reason why it happened was the erector pili muscles, which are the tiny little muscles in the dermis, they were being affected, you know, just like standard Botox, it's par- paralyzing those muscles. And those muscles can't pull on the sebum channels, pu- pushing out the sebum. So that's apparently how it was also working. Yeah, that was, that was, we also discussed about that. But I think like, you know, we, to be honest, all these effects is like, you know, it's just only anecdotal. Right. And so so it's like, you know, people say here and there, and we had some of the in vitro studies to prove that. Yeah. But I think it's more like a chain reaction. It's 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 combination of a lot of things. Mm. Yeah. But as a dermatologist, presumably, you know, if someone comes to you with bad cystic acne, your first sort of gold standard, I'm assuming, is Riracutane or or antibiotics. You're not going straight for Botox, microtoxin. Definitely. Right. Okay. So, so when would you use it or is it just a happy sort of side effect of your microtoxin standard treatment for facial lifting? Yeah. I'm not using it for the treatment. I'm not really tell any of my patient that like, you know, I can treat your acne with toxin. No, no. no. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Because yeah, I don't want listeners to take away that we, you know, they should be treating acne with Toxin. You know, there is a lot. It seems like laser, right? You have one machine. You know that it can do this at best. Mm-hmm. But the company always tells you, oh, you can use it with this indication, this, 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 and that. Mm. It could also be you know, a last resort, we, potentially, if people haven't responded, as you said, to yeah. some of the more traditional treatments. And some people might not want things like Rakitan, which can potentially be quite harsh on the body and have lots of other side effects. So they might opt for something that's less impactful on their life. Just plucking this out of the sky, just thinking about maybe you could do targeted areas on particularly problematic areas, you know, very cystic, you know, focal areas that just just need a bit more help, sort of acute help. Because, you know, Rakuten takes time, antibiotics take time. Um, Yeah, I'm just making this up as we go along with (laughs) it. Well, um, you know, there, there, there is one, um, one thing, like one, one interesting assumption. So, you know, uh, Botox is like not only having the neuroendocrine control modulation over sebaceous gland, like we're talking about, right? But I think there is, um, there is, um, there is something about the cholinergic signaling. You know, the, there is nicotinic receptor and cholinergic receptor, right? Yeah. And have you experienced like seeing patients who had smoke for a long, long time and it's produced stimulation of the oily face and acne. Mm. So that is why like some people thinking with the toxin effects, it can affect on the nicotinic cholinergic receptor. So make them have face that is less oily and less acne. So that is another possibility that, that, mm. that some people discuss. And the other possibility is like, you know, um, botulinum toxin can also affect the follicular epitheliums, like, you know, the epitheliums on the, on the, on the hair. Mm-hmm. So make it thread better, not stuck. So it's less comedone. Right. Less clock pores. So that is why with acne, I think toxin has a lot of effect in multiple pathology of acne. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's crazy. Just going back to, I don't know whether we relate this to facial lifting or acne or skin rejuvenation pores, but the mode of delivery, I mean, you're using a 1cc syringe, you're walking over the face doing multiple injections. What about using, um, you know, like a stamping device, like the Aqua Gold, where you're just punching? It might be easier and quicker and maybe more, well, more tolerable. Um, or what about even using something like, I don't know, Fraxel, and then using sort of poor delivery through those laser channels that you created. Would that work? We did it. Oh, right. We, okay. We actually recently published one of the study with Xiaomin, though. Okay. Because using all the um, trans-epidermal drug delivery via, uh, via laser or, or anything that digging the hole. Yes. Um, since the keratin is the rate-limiting step, of anything to come through your skin. Yeah. Um, that particular substance need to be smaller than 500 kilo Dalton. Mm. So which means Botox won't work at 900. This part pretty much 500, mm. but Xiumin can do. It's mm. 150. Right. Mm. So that is why, that is why uh, we had a studies on um, oily face and also enlarged pores uh, using fractional a mm. uh, laser, and then put topical theomin on. Huh. So, so how did you actually make up? You, you just sort of dribbled it on the face and rubbed it in. Yeah, but but look, when you are using the fractional laser, right? You already improve the enlarged pores. Yeah. Yes. So what we are doing is we are doing split face study, one with the saline and the other one with the theomin, um, mm -hmm. and we found that combination of both had better result than. Yeah, lasers alone. That's awesome. And then I would assume you would get a reduction in blackheads as well, particularly in areas that are prone to them, maybe the nose, which is an area which no matter how clean you keep your skin, <laughs> you get blackheads there. So did you get improvements there too with that? Unfortunately, we didn't do that because it's in the middle ground. Mm. So see, like, we did split face. So we safe nose as middle ground. But thank you, David. I'm going to do it next. There you go. Because that's like a... <laughs> Even I mean, so even people with great skin have blackheads on their nose. It's just somewhere that you just can't seem to to cure. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. The oily T zone. Yeah. So when are you gonna? Well, so what do the next studies look like? And when do you think? They're <laughs> and when be, can David fly to yeah, Thailand? Exactly. <laughs> when, can they, when, can, when are they going to be published? And this is exciting stuff. I mean, because you know we've just potentially. I mean, I think people have been mucking around with this for a long time. But I don't. I mean, this is the first time I've heard someone actually conducting studies on it and finding new ways to treat people without over augmenting them, improving their skin quality, which I think is a real opportunity for particularly countries outside of Asia that haven't really focused on it, like your Australia's, your UK's, potentially America. This could be, yeah, it could be huge. Yeah. I mean, look, there's been a lot of. Um attention on Profilo, yeah. the, the, the new bioremodeling treatment that we have here. But it's probably the first time people have been yep. talking about skin. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, you guys in Asia, you've been doing it yeah. forever. Yeah. So it's so hard to tell how old everyone is there. You guys all look great forever. So you must be doing something <laughs> right. Yeah. So tell me about, so, but, so tell me about but, the study. Yeah. But before we are moving on, I think like, you know, what I would like to emphasize is like, you know, with injecting at the mid phase here, even intradermal, it can cause a lot of complication of facial asymmetry. Yes. Right? Because it, there is a levator muscles here. And if you are not in a good depth, you can just like diffuse it into the muscle. So that is why what we found the technique is I really hyper dilute it further mm. if you want to do it. So uh, in literature, um, there is uh, the, how we say, the suck. Um, the recommendation to dilute it may be seven to ten, 
mm-hmm. CC with 100 unit vial. Yeah. I use it like at 10 and inject no more than like 5 to 10 unit per one side of the cheek only to keep it very, very minimum. Uh, and this is for all indications or? Yeah, for all indications. You dilute it in 10, so which means in... One mil, 10 one units. One mil, you had only 10 units. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then so how much would you be doing, how many units would you be doing on each side of the face? You said... We start with five units per side, up to 10. Right. right. Wow. Okay. So that... I'm confused now. Yeah. I thought you said you were doing 80 for the face. No, no. That that was the face lifting. Okay. And right. this is for... Just like mainly on this area, like, you know, since... When you're injecting around this area, there is less complication. Okay. But when you're coming into here, right? So I do dilute it a little bit further, actually a lot further. So just everyone listening, you're pointing to your mid-face and cheeks. and. Nose I'm, I'm going to clarify. So for the circumference and sort of outer area where there's less expression muscles, you're, um, you know... Use maybe, the dilution that recommended. One, right. seven, so you said seven mils, was it? No, yeah, no. seven mils well, for, for, for this point. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then when you come to the closer to the mid face and smiling muscles, etc., then you're hyper, hyper diluting to 10, was it? To say Maybe 10 mils for 100 units of both. Sorry, you said double, so 14 mils? Yeah. If, if you are using this port. I'm if sorry using for the Discord. confusing because like, we have <laughs> right. multiple brands here. I need a, a Panadol. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. I think we're getting confused. I, I just wanted to introduce another indication, which I, I don't know if you do, Rungsima, is improving scar healing because yeah. that relates back to fibroblasts, etc. So I'm pretty sure, I don't want to misquote here, but I think Stephen Liu does this mm. routinely after a breast augmentation for his scars. Mm. And I don't know what dilution, etc., but I know he's using let's call it microtoxin, to improve scar healing. Mm. So it's less likely. Basically, you're taking tension off the, your wound, right. which gives you less likelihood of hypertrophic oh. scars. So it wouldn't be good for acne scars then? No, no, no. no totally different. That's an established scar. Right, no. right, 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 right. But a healing scar is, is huh. it's maturing, obviously. So w- w- how do you feel about that? Is that something that you would do routinely? So there is two possibilities of toxins that can improve scar. The first one is like, you know, for the healing scar, when you're injecting it around, it inhibits movement of the muscle, so relax the tension. Yes. So it's like less, so in terms of like scar prevention, right? I think that study has been conducted by the Mayo group yeah. first in most surgery patients. I mean, that's pretty logical. And, and, if you can't frown and raise your eyebrows, yeah. your scar is going to heal better. But I'm yeah, talking but, about sort of intradermal use. Yes, but afterwards, what when we learn about the fibroblast effects, so we find that it's reduced the activity of fibroblast stimulation in t- in terms of the how we say increasing the production. So it's so at first when I heard that I was just like shit. When we are thinking about the facial lifting, we think that it's cause contraction. But when is the scar? So what's going on? It's actually multi modalities, as I told you. And what we found again is the dilution might do might need to do something mm. because the dilution that actually used for scar prevention is higher concentration. Okay, so without getting confusing, let's relate this to Botox. What would your dilution be for that? Two point five, so regular dilution. Okay, and then let's say we've got a I don't know a five centimeter wound. How many injections are you doing around that wound? So usually it used to be one unit per one to two one to one point five unit per one centimeter length of the scar. Okay, so that's pretty cheap. That's easy to do, and that's intradermal, correct? Yeah. Right. 
And I guess no one's done studies on that because it's a bit unethical to make scars on people <laughs> and do spit face scar studies. Actually, we had the studies in the patients who come for uh, biopsy. Ah, okay. There is already a people who did split scar studies, you know, to prove that Botox work. I think it's already been like five years now. Okay. And to be clear, when you say Botox, you mean Botox or just toxin? Toxin. Sorry. Okay. Fair enough. Because you were saying Dysport is better for facial lifting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, this is <laughs> mind blowing stuff. Yeah. All right. Now let's go back <laughs> to hypohydrosis. Back to hypohydrosis. No, no, no. Let's oh, go no. back to rosacea now. In uh-huh. fact, I'll tell you an interesting story because I've only done this once or twice. About 10 years ago, I had a, a bride to be come to me mm. and she said, mm. um, I get this really weird thing where if I'm embarrassed or social anxiety, I guess, I get extremely bad flushing oh, across I've my seen chest. This yeah, yeah. And she said, um, Can you use Botox for that? And I was like, I've no idea. So I did some research on PubMed and I found one paper at the time. This is years ago. And I said, well, look, I found one paper. Um, So this guy is saying that you can use it for flushing. He was doing it on the face, but I said it's it's actually safer on the chest because I'm not worried if you can't, you know, move your chest. So we did it. And I did it exactly like hyperhidrosis with my hyperhidrosis dilution. So I did um, 100 units in five mils of Botox and it worked. And and she was wearing a white dress and she said for the first time ever, she wasn't kind of, you know, getting this weird flushing. Huh. So she come regularly now she, for it? Well, no, she's in the UK. This was years uh-huh. ago. Um, so that's probably the only time I've deliberately done it for flushing. But I, I guess rosacea is a similar mechanism, oh. I'm assuming. So maybe should we, we should define rosacea first for the people who don't know. what What is rosacea? is the uh, redness of the face um, exacerbated by having sunlight or heat. Right. And then like, you know, when you do it, uh, when you have it a lot, you get telangiectasia, like, you know, the red mm. vessels. Yep. Little visible sp- red vessels. Little spider things, yeah. The, yeah, and then when um, the symptom got severe, you can get papules. Right. So people misdiagnose as acne, but it's actually not. So t- totally different thing. Yeah. So I was going to say, is it a spot diagnosis rather than you're not doing a biopsy? You're just looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's spot diagnosis. Right. Okay, fine. So again, how does microtoxin help that? And and what is your approach? Is it a different dilution? Same dilution? So it's the same dilution. Like I, I since anything that inject around here, I'll go super hyper dilute and lower dose. Okay, so for again, so it was 14 like, mils it was. No, 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 yeah. 100 units of Botox, 10 mils of dilution. Yes. Okay, cool, got and it. Five to ten, five to 10 units per side. Yes, okay. So now you got it. Yeah. Um, and the mechanism of action is actually like, you know, the first is it um, inhibit vasodilation. So, you know, so reduce the flush. So there is the neuropeptide that related to acetylcholine. So that is why when you inject toxins, it's caused vasoconstriction. So it's inhibit vasodilation. Do you mean vasoactive second, intestinal polypeptide? Is that the one you were thinking of? No, no, no. It's actually calcitonin-related uh, <laughs> peptide, not that one. So I'm just throwing things out that I read in my research today. <laughs> Jake's been Googling. <laughs> my goodness. And the other mechanism is it's inhibit mast cell degranulation. Ah, okay. So you know, mast cells is the cells that can cause inflammation. Yeah. 
So, you know, when, when the body like got um, stimuli and mast cells coming in, like, you know, it's degranulate and you get swell and redness. Same for allergies, same thing. And same to trim allergies. Imagine like seafood allergy. Yes. So that happens. Hmm. So I think like uh, since toxins inhibit these two things, so that is why it can really help with rosacea. And so again, as a dermatologist, when and why would you choose that versus topicals, lasers, other modalities to treat rosacea, traditional uh, modalities, I guess? I'll do lasers. Right. Okay. Because it's more predictable and longer term or? Yeah. More predictable and longer term. And, you know, you can really get rid of the vessel. It's not just like you make it constrict. Yeah. So, you know, because if it's constrict, you can get vasodilated again from any like stimuli, right? So if you just destroy it. Mm. Yeah. Makes so sense. It, yeah. So, so, so for me, I think, and, and it's cost effective, mm-hmm. but it's good to know what, do you have like as option yeah so if your patient's coming for enlarged pores and have rosacea i think that might be the good combination for all overall skin quality same thing like like ipl yeah so you know you did it you didn't really get like destroy everything but you get everything improved at the same time i think this is something that um good for that patient who is looking for something that is like you know just do everything Um, but not as good yeah, and, and presumably, let's say you were going to choose your, your microtoxin as a treatment for rosacea. Do you just target the flushed area and, and maybe yeah. a little bit around it just to sort of cover the border? Yes, yes. Right, interesting. Wow, it's just like more and more uses every day. Yeah. Well, it's I, like I, WD-40. I think it's a valid <laughs> option. You know, if you've got a patient on your table and like Rungsima said, you, they want something else yeah. alongside it, it's just a happy... A happy side effect. Yeah. If, well, one treatment, you can get improvements with all sorts of indications. Yeah. Do you think there'll come a, a time soon when this is going to be something that will potentially be an on-label treatment or something that will be actually actively recommended by people all around the world? Because it seems very isolated at the moment. I'm guessing, no. uh, yeah, from what Rungsim yeah. is saying, there are better, more established, quicker ways of doing it. So probably doesn't make sense mm. for the pharma companies to put money behind studies and research because it's just not it's not a new and it's not no, new no, enough no. But, but it might work especially when you will have toxin that lasts longer than three months coming along yeah. well i was going to say as well presumably the effect is short term maybe three four months but if you had longer lasting toxins that changes the argument slightly mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting yeah. because yeah. For rosacea, you will see notice the improvement at a month. Yeah. So same same time, yeah. pretty much down laser though. Yeah, I mean, to push back on what you're saying, Jake, I mean, there might be patients that don't want the downtime of a laser who can't afford to have, you know, resurfacing done or mm. what have you. So, I mean, you might people that might opt for something that's less invasive and potentially just very quick and easy. Some people... Yeah. But, yeah. But laser for rosacea is not really invasive. No, I was talking more for things like uh, uh, scarring or um poor size when you're doing like fraxel treatments and things like that you might there is still a bit of downtime with that i've had it done before it's yeah. Yeah, depending on how deep you go it can be can be a few days out of action or a week or so but anyway yeah. it's just good to have options yeah I, I mean i guess for injectors not not dermatologists but injectors who have toxin in their cupboard yeah. and they have a patient in front of them who maybe has never 
Well, they might not even know they have rosacea. Yeah. You know, it, it's worth a trial. It's a, it's a simple, pretty affordable treatment. If you're using, what, five to eight units per side, yeah. it's not a lot. So why Although not? Although you make sure you get a few people in because otherwise you have to throw the rest of the, <laughs> the vial away. Well, no, because you, you can make your normal dilution and then do separate Oh, you could pull it out. Yeah, I guess yeah, you, you can like further dilute in your syringe. Right, yeah. okay. I have to know. say, I, 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 I probably thought I never did microtoxin, but I do. Obviously, I do armpits. Um, but when I do foreheads in more mature patients where, you know, they're heavy-lidded, heavy-browed, but they want something in the forehead, I routinely hyperdilute. And I, I never thought about it until we did this podcast. So, yeah. So, it, it, it definitely works. So, um, welcome to the, group, to the group. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Microtoxin. I've got, I've got a couple of other even weirder uses that I've come across. And one of them is actually kind of talked about quite a lot in australia <laughs> um, <laughs> well it's hay fever do you know that's what i was laughing i was laughing at the testicle one. well we'll come to that one we'll come to that one in a second brung seema's pulling faces she doesn't even know what i mean um yes yeah, so a hay fever so i was online you know as you are and you're in these injector groups and there, there was this thing going around about hay tox or toxin for hay fever have you heard of that brung seema no. Okay, so this is going to, well, I don't know how bad hay fever is in Thailand, but it can be quite bad here and certainly in the UK people really suffer. So if you... Do you know get, what it is? Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah, I know oh, hay right. fever, okay. but, but, but we, we don't really have much in Thailand though. Okay, okay. so maybe the, that's why it's not on your radar. So um, if you hyperdilute some toxin, just five units, let's say, uh-huh. um, you can get a special little device that effectively turns your liquid into a spray. It's called atomization. It's uh-huh. a bit like a perfume spray. And you can Have just... You spray? Well, yeah, exactly. So it's a bit like a nasal spray. So you do five units per side, get your patient to lie down for, you know, five or ten minutes so it doesn't trickle out. And then, you know, the normal aftercare would be don't blow your nose, don't use any nasal sprays for the next 24, 48 hours. And the, the results are really good. I was just saying, oh, really? Yeah. I was just thinking for Sydney, you could turn it into a powder. So it's like cocaine. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but, but, but it might work, you know, because of the granular inhibition. Exactly. So, the know, muscles. Fever is like also the same granular, granular secretion. Yes, exactly. Right? It's the same thing. But actually, you, you know, your nasal mucosa is very thin yeah. and, and absorbs quite easily. So that's kind of a weird but quite useful use of microtoxin. Any idea on why it's doing that? Why it's, yeah. why it's helping? So, well, the speculation is it's stopping the signal to those mast cells. So the ACH, I, yes, I, I think that's the pathway. Yes, because it's the mast cell regranulation. Yeah. <laughs> and so, it's really reduced the inflammation of by inhibited substance P. Yeah, so there we go. So if you've never heard of Haytox... How many, how many units would you need for five that? units per side it's nothing five units per side <laughs> yeah and you i mean this is really anecdotal I've, I've there's a couple of studies on it but results of three to six months which is wow that's pretty cheap pretty damn units. good yeah wow. for five units rather than messing around with steroids and you know all the rest of it <laughs> so hey I'm glad I'm teaching our guests something. There you go. <laughs> Maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> Just get a steal your study. <laughs> now, this next one is very unusual. And I have to say, I'd never heard of it until recently. And I actually saw my patient yesterday for a follow-up. So he um, contacted me saying, Dr. Jake, I've been told by my urologist to ask you if you do scrotal toxin. And I said... <laughs> 
okay, well, you know, anecdotally, I've heard of it as like a quite a weird aesthetic thing that you can do to reduce wrinkles. But he said, no, 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 it's not for that. It's because, you know, your scrotum is basically a, a, a bag of muscle and oh, either no. retracts or, or relaxes. Basically, that's what it does. And he was getting quite bad pain. Uh, for 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 reasons unknown, but he'd seen physios and urologists and lots of different specialists, and they basically said your pelvic floor is tight. It's just your resting tone is tight, but also your cremaster and your dartos muscle, which are your sort of two muscles that basically pull on your testes, are too tight. <laughs> and he said it's worth a shot. It's a shot to nothing. So I said to him again, a bit like my flushing patient, I said I've never done this before, but it seems reasonable if you've been referred by a urologist. Let's try it. So I did the same hyperdiluted, same uh, dilution as hyperhidrosis, went all around the scrotum. Of course, we numbed him and I said, let me know. Let me know how you go. And I saw him yesterday. I followed him up. Numb nuts. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, for, for in Thailand, like we, we use that for the hyperhidrosis. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, exactly. Because I'm guessing, you, you know, different countries, yeah, you have different but, areas but of hyper... Never heard of that. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so I saw him yesterday and he actually said in his words, this has been life changing because to be honest, he was having problems with intimacy because of pain. Wow. And his, so, whole life, his whole life he's had it? Yeah. I know. Well, it uh, gets a bit confusing. He, he's gone through a really bad breakup with a divorce, should I say. Right. Um, so, th you know, there may be some psychological overlay, but for him, it's worked. <laughs> so I was like, wow, this is like totally new. I've never done this before that's crazy so that's an unusual use of microtox and then what about neuropathic pain this is the other one that i've come across have you heard of this ring -seamer? no okay not myself and not my patient so so you'll know sabrina fabi she's she's obviously yeah, um, very well her. known prolific publisher we've had her on the yeah, podcast lovely um I saw her just do a post about a month ago and I'd never heard of this before. She said she had a patient um, suffering um, from neuropathic pain from breast cancer scar on, on obviously on mm. the breast. And she said that she's been doing microtoxin around the scar. I guess the same as what we were talking about for the hypertrophic scar. And she was saying it inhibits the transmission of substance P and yeah. other neurotransmitters and, and her patients basically saying they've got no pain anymore. But, you know, in the studies of the keloid scar, the patients also report that, like right. how itch, itch, itchiness feeling and also mm. pain. Mm. That is much better than injecting corticosteroid. So, so you use microtoxin for that sort of discomfort from keloid scars? I never use that, but... But, 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 you know, there is a paper that published about that. Yes. Hmm. So, so when you mentioned, and I'm done, I'm thinking about like what I have been studies and yes, substance P should be the one. Right. So there we go. It's um, the, the drug that keeps on giving it. We never stop finding more indications for this magical drug. Do we need to cover hyperhidrosis still? Or we've done um, yeah. Let, okay. Let's maybe talk about that. So, well, what did you want to ask? Well, nothing. I mean, I guess it's just the same mechanism of action as what we've spoken about with all the other modalities. So facial lifting, rosacea, sebaceous glands. So the sweat glands, I guess, you know, the primary concern that I hear from patients and injectors that have worked for me in recent times is because of the high doses, issues with um, resistance. Mm. Um, is that something that's potentially negated by using um, Xeomin? 
And I guess what's your protocol for it? How popular is it? Do you use it in other places outside of the armpit, such as, you know, the hands, people who get there? Yeah, swell, yeah exactly. So you want to talk to us a little, a little bit about your sort of um, experience experiences? Yeah. yeah. I think I think to be honest, from my experience, what I see is like the effect on hyperhidrosis treatment is last longer. Mm-hmm. So you know, in some patients, it's last six months or more. Yeah, I agree. So which means. We, we we really don't need to ask the patient to come back to get treatment that often. Mm-hmm. And I think that is contributed from the nerve ending like stimulation. So, you know, when we injecting Botox on the face for wrinkle reduction, the three months time is the effects on the new nerve ending coming along. So yeah. so the, the communication between nerve and muscles established again. But since um, sweat gland is sympathetic mm-hmm. so you know we don't know how long does it take for nerve to re-establish so i think it's maybe longer and 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 that is why like with people who come from hyperhidrosis if you get a good dose for them it will last very long so usually my patients come f- no sooner than six months someone like nine months or even like a year but you really need to titrate the very first dose so that is why i i learned that one of my patients need like 80 units on one side and 40 on the other because yeah. we just like keep doing it. And we use the, the amount of the dose. Um, and unlike all the um, injecting on muscle or cosmetic that you tend to increase the dose, actually for hyperhidrosis, for over a period of time, it tends to de- reduce the dose. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be because of the hormonal change or anything that like, you know, when you are a, you grow older, you know, your body like produce less of the sweat. What's the strangest place that you've injected for hyperhidrosis or, or which areas do you normally treat? So the most common area is actually axilla, mm-hmm. palm, mm-hmm. sole, and lastly, scrotum that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you numb the hands and feet? Because it's painful. incredibly painful yeah. otherwise. What do you do? So we do nerve block. Right. Okay. Because right. it's too painful. Or or we use um, fractional laser first and then put the topical toxins on. Ah. Um, yeah. It's less painful. <laughs> but how painful is fractal on your hands? That, that can't be fun. Excuse me? Fraxel on your hands. I mean, that, that no, can't I be... No, I think fraxels, fraxel is too, how we say, is too too soft to drill the hole. Right, so what are you like using? Fractional CO2. Ah, okay. Oh, you or talk... even like needling. I think you're talking about fraxel, the brand, rather than fractional yeah, technology. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yes. yeah, okay. Um, I've had a friend of mine who gets it done routinely in his scalp. I think you've actually yeah. treated this person yes. before because they have a sweaty, a sweaty scalp. Yeah, I mean, yeah. again, same technique. It, it, it's more painful oh. for sure. And strangely, he started to notice more hair growth in that area. But I don't know whether that was related <laughs> to that or something else he may have been doing. So, don't know. <laughs> Look. Um, but, you know, if you are using Botox for a scalp, it also had the improvement on the hair regrowth. Ah, there you go. So yeah. he wasn't imagining things. I mean... And you know, we use Botox for, andro- uh, for alopecia areata, you know? Oh, right. What, can- how and why do you do that? I don't know. Hair is not my <laughs> area of expertise. But yeah, I know that a colleague of mine who Ooh. is the hair expert use it for... That could for, be an interesting uh, podcast. Alopecia areata. <laughs> and also head migraine. 
Yeah, migraine, migraine of course. Yeah. I mean, my speculation for the hair is that um, they're always talking about trying to get more blood to the area. And, and if you're relaxing the muscles, potentially there's, I don't know, improvement in blood flow locally. That, mm. that, that would be my speculation. And <laughs> I don't know, who knows? Because that doesn't seem to make sense because we've also spoken about using it for flushing and closing down the capillaries. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to have a podcast on that. Yeah, interesting. Toxins for hair growth. So yeah, I feel I'm like... looking forward to listening to it. <laughs> we just go, do you know the person we should talk to? Do you have a colleague that you could refer us to for that one? Do you have a think? Have a think. I have no idea who really did that. Let me get back to you then. Okay. We'll have to do a, a series called The Even Weirder and Wonderful Ways of Using Botox. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we've pretty much covered all of them today. Maybe we're just, maybe we're just oh scratching the surface. Yeah. Well, Rosima, that was a great podcast. We've actually had a, a break of about two or three weeks. And I felt like we we're a bit rusty today, yeah. but that was awesome. Um, thank you for uh, donating your time. Um, what have you got planned for the rest of your week? Have you got a busy derm clinic or what does it look like for you? So I'm heading to Greece, Thessaloniki for ISDS conference. Oh, right. Okay. What, what's the ISDS conference? So it's the uh, International Society of Dermatologic Surgery. Oh, sounds mm. fun, I guess. Whereabouts in Greece? Athens or uh, Athens? I haven't been there. Thessaloniki. Right. I've no idea. City. Sounds mainland. Are you going to stay for a holiday as well or are you just going to go and come back to work? Yeah, I'll be back next week. Uh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much again. We really appreciate your time. Um, this podcast will be out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And... Um, as Jake said, great to have you on. I'm sure um, there'll be even more and more weird and wonderful uses coming out in the future with toxins, and we'd love to have you back to discuss yeah, it. Yeah, we some should point. definitely talk about your research, you know, as things progress and things evolve. So hopefully you'll agree to come back. All right. Sorry for confusing in all the dilution, you know, and all the brand. <laughs> That's I think okay. it's like we're just that gonna was put, the most confusing part. We're going to put your phone number on the, when we put the thing up and then people who have any questions, <laughs> they can call you direct. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> no, joking. we definitely won't do that. Don't <laughs> worry. All right. Thank you so thank much. You, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 